Amen. Well, this morning, what I want to speak to you about is transformation, the transformational power of the good news that Jesus came to bring, the beautiful exchange that takes place when we put our trust in Jesus. And Stephen kicked off this series last week. Um, Do check out that message online if you've not watched it yet. And he introduced the scene. So let me just remind you of what's going on here. As we read in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is at his local synagogue in Nazareth, a pretty nondescript place in front of the people he grew up with. Everyone's eyes are glued on him. And he's about to start his public ministry. And he could have picked anything to read from and to say what he's come to do, but yet this is what he chooses, this passage from Isaiah 61 that was just read to us. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, he says, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And as he finishes, he rolls up the scroll and sits down and says, today in your hearing, this promise has been fulfilled. But this passage in Isaiah, it continues and we're gonna be working through it over the next few weeks. And and the next verse, verse three, that we're looking at specifically today is, I think one of the most beautiful verses in the Old Testament. You see, the context that Isaiah was speaking into was for a time when the people were living in the aftermath of exile and oppression. And yet this is the promise that was spoken in order to give them comfort and courage in the midst of chaos. They were facing this now new opportunity, but still feeling bewildered and a bit battered as they were looking forward to what was to come. And we fast forward several hundred years to where Jesus is now speaking. The Jewish people are still holding on to this promise that the Messiah would come to bring freedom. Just as as Isaiah was anointed by the Spirit of God, he was empowered by God for a specific purpose. So Jesus announces that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon him, that this is the freedom he has come to bring. But he didn't come as a powerful ruler who would take down the Romans with force. He didn't call down fire from heaven to defeat them. No, he came to bring a freedom far greater than just freedom from that earthly situation. In speaking to those who are mourning in Zion, this is what he says. He says he's come to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of despair. The anointed one has come to set them free, to transform their lives. And these three beautiful exchanges take place. And they're what I wanna focus on this morning. We're gonna look at each one of them in turn. So beginning with a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Now, unless you're here today or listening online as a member of the royal family, perhaps, Perhaps you are, you never know, it's YouTube, but most likely no one here has an experience of wearing a royal crown. But most of us probably just worn crowns at Christmas in crackers, or perhaps even putting ashes on your head. Um, not something you do often unless you're clearing a chimney, I don't know, maybe you get a bit of ash on your head, or you've been to an ash service. But in, in Hebrew time and in the context of this scripture, 
The exchange of a crown of beauty instead of ashes is an incredibly powerful image. In scripture, ashes show up when God's people or whole nations around them are in mourning or despair. They convey the absolute rock bottom. We hear in times of scripture when people would cover themselves with ashes, when they've been sinned against, when stuff's come against them, or when they themselves have sinned, or when they've experienced bereavement and death, they're a sign of mourning and sorrow. Actually, this week, as I was, I was rereading, digging into this passage, I was so struck that it's not simply saying, he's not saying um, to bring beauty from ashes. That's a beautiful thing, and I do believe God goes into those ugly places and can make them beautiful. But actually what this text is saying is that it's a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The promise is this, Jesus takes our headdress of sin and death and completely exchanges it for a crown of beauty and dignity and honor. Jesus comes to those in mourning. He comes to those in sin to bring something beautiful. And the salvation that he brings isn't self-improvement. No, it's death to self and new life, but not just any life, a beautiful life. Think a bit bit like this, Prince William and Kate. um, Their children, they don't reach an age where they're going to have to start going to prince and princess training school where they're going to have to start learning how to specifically do all the things that they've been born into before they can be given their title as Prince George, Princess Charlotte and Prince Louis. Of course they're going to grow up and learn to do what they're meant to do but their royal identity is a birthright and nothing can change that. They were born into the royal family and when God saves us he doesn't simply just improve us, he creates something new. As St. Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. A new creation in him. And yet I think so often we forget the wonder and power of this new identity that we've been given in Christ, born into his royal family, a royal priesthood, a royal identity as a joint heir with Jesus. When you put your trust in him, death is no more. We're given newness of life. He meets you in the place of ashes, in the place of darkness, and takes that away to give you beauty. This is the scandalous truth of the gospel of new life in him. It's a bestowed gift. It's grace. Just this past week, I was catching up with someone who has become a Christian in this past year. She's got an amazing story. Um, But recently, just with everything going on with lockdown and the pressures of that, she's fallen into some old habit stuff that she was dealing with before um, she became a Christian that she knows aren't good for her. And I said to her, I've not seen you for a while. And she said, oh, I just didn't feel like I was worthy to come back to church. And I said, that's exactly why you should come back to church, because it's in that place where you feel broken where you feel like you're not enough, that Jesus is calling you back to himself. And over the past year, wherever you're at right now, that many of us have perhaps fallen into things that we would rather we hadn't, or we're feeling like our faith is hanging on by a thread. But Jesus is holding on to you. He who lived the most beautiful life ever lived, the King of Kings, walked to the cross, and he took on a crown made of thorns, 
so that we may be crowned with beauty. It's a beautiful exchange. That's the good news he came to bring to the poor. The good news is for when you don't know you deserve it, when you know you don't deserve it, it's in your brokenness that Jesus wants to meet you and bestow upon you a crown of beauty that he hung on the cross to win for you, to help you discover your royal identity of who you were made to be in him. And so whether you've known Jesus, or been walking with him your whole life, or you're a new Christian, you're just starting on in this journey, or you're still you're here and you, you're not sure about all of this, but when you put your life in Christ, he gives you that crown of beauty. Your life is precious to him. He's come to give you beauty instead of ashes. But Jesus not only comes to bring life in the place of death, he comes to bring joy instead of mourning. Whether or not you're in a place of mourning this morning, we have all faced losses over this past year, things that we've had to grieve, whether that was hoped expectations for our jobs, for our families, for academic opportunities, for trips away, pretty much anything we've had to perhaps put on hold, there is a sense of grief. But the next exchange that we read about is far greater than just happiness in the place of mourning. The oil of joy in the place of mourning is not just awkwardly bursting into oh happy day in an inappropriate moment, just pretending like everything's fine. Um, that's not what the oil of joy is about. The joy we read about in the Bible that Jesus has come to bring is so much more than just a quick fix of happiness. You know, we can find happiness in so much of the world around us. There's many, many books about finding happiness, courses you can go on about happiness. Happiness is so important, but if that's all we're living for, it can be empty that unless we encounter true joy, it will never be enough. The oil of joy that Jesus brings, it flows from the crown of beauty. It's a source that does not run dry. It's the joy of salvation, of the knowledge that we have been given this new life in Christ, known and loved by him. And how does Christ bring that oil of joy to us? Well, again, we read in scripture that the Messiah wasn't anointed to live as a king in a royal palace. He was anointed to die as a servant. He chose not to dine with royalty, but chose to eat with the poor, the marginalized, the people that others thought were unclean and didn't belong in religious circles. Yet the joy he brought, it came through suffering. And the life he promises his followers is in fact one that will in, in truly, true nature have suffering. He says to his followers, I have told you these things so that you may have peace, but in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. If you're walking in sorrow and suffering right now, or you feel like life is a bit of a desert, you're in good company with Jesus. We can't always make sense of the pain and horrific things in the world around us. And we live in a fallen and broken world and the things that we might not know the reason for until the other side of eternity. But Jesus, he stands with us in the place of pain and sorrow because he himself became a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that we might know the oil of his joy the flowing presence of his joy upon us.
And there's always more of his love to encounter. There's always more of the Holy Spirit to fill us with the love of God, the power of God, the revelation of who he is. But so often, actually, the deeper encounters with Jesus, with his presence, come out of the place of the desert, of the refining, of the suffering. In fact, Jesus returns to announce this good news after he's been in the desert. It's in the desert where the deep wells are formed, where often we're fully emptied of our own abilities, of our own strength, but we find a deeper place of reliance on Jesus. In fact, it was part of my own story um, that I encountered this true joy that brought me here to this church where I became a Christian. And actually, I'm so privileged to be uh, part of staff here. I love getting to work for St. Aldate's. But as I came to this city just over 10 years ago as a student, going to church was the furthest thing that was on my mind. And um, the summer, actually, just before I came here for the first time, I got invited to go out to Kenya um, to visit some family friends out there working um, with a, min- uh, a charity amongst children. And it was there where I encountered a glimpse of this oil of joy. There were these kids that we were getting to hang out with. Um, they were amazing. And so many of them had seen the most horrific things happen to their families. They were caught up in election violence. And I remember one girl in particular, her name was Beatrice or Beatty, and she used to just spin around dancing around me and then she'd just come up to me and tell me that Jesus loved me. And I didn't know what to make of it because she had this joy and this light that shined out of her. That up until that point, my life I'd say was pretty great. I didn't have much to complain about, but I knew that I didn't have what this little girl had. And when I came back to Oxford for my second year of university, I'd love to say that immediately I went to church and everything was fine. I actually came back and I think I'd went the furthest I've ever gone from God. I was just trying to find that joy and that light in the world, in partying and going out, in anything that I could, in empty relationships, until it came to the point where I said, it was the first time I think I'd prayed really, I said, there must be more to life than this. And in a very short space of time, it was only one week, I got invited to church three times with people that had no idea that I had this desire in me for something more. And as people kept inviting me, I thought, oh, maybe I should go. I remember even saying to some of my housemates at the time, I feel like I need to go to church. They were like, all right, go for it. And I didn't even know where churches were in the city. And there was one girl who invited me to a baptism service. It was in 2011 in November, the 815 baptism service here at this church. And I remember driving from Cowley to the church here, feeling like there was a magnet pulling me towards the church. And as I walked in, I'd never seen a room filled with young people who were there because they wanted to go to church. And as soon as the worship started, I was just met by this overwhelming sense of love, by that oil of joy that came over me, not because of anything I'd done to deserve it, not because I knew anything really about who Jesus was, but I just knew that I had met him in that place. And I remember kneeling down in tears and just saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, can I come back to you? And my life has never been the same since. It's had its trials and suffering, but I have known a deep place of joy. And so often when we're living and following Jesus, actually, it's you look around and it's the people that have suffered the most for him or had to walk through things of trials that they truly know a joy that this world can't put its hands on. It, it doesn't have anything to match that. And so often life is broken and blessed. There's those parallel train tracks of joy and suffering. 
but Christ longs to give us a place in the place of mourning, a place where we can lean on him, the source of life that comes from beyond the grave, his oil of joy. He gives us beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, but he also gives us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So the question is, how do we live out of this place of joy when all we really want to do is despair? Well, to answer that, I just want to quickly talk about the difference between disappointments and despair, because in life, disappointment is actually just a very normal part of life. There are things that, you know, just everyday things that we get disappointed about that don't really mean much, but then there are deep things that we can get disappointed about. But despair is actually very different to disappointment. Despair is what happens when we lose hope. It's a very dark place to be in, when we don't see something beyond the situation that we're in. And if I'm honest, sometimes in my life, my praise in worship can actually be quite dictated by the situations I'm in and how I'm feeling on the, on the day, how much sleep I've had, how fed I am. That's kind of what dictates how I'm feeling about praise. But the problem is when your praise is only given when things are going well, that when that falls apart, it can be very easy to despair. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is he never rebukes us when we have a spirit of despair. In fact, they're the ones he came running towards. He was mocked and shamed as he was given that crown of thorns and a garment, a, a garment that was made of purple robes to, to mock him as the king of the Jews. But he took on that cloak of shame so that we might be clothed in praise. That is a beautiful transformation that he takes away the spirit of despair and wants to wrap you in a garment of praise. And this is the freedom that he came to bring, a freedom that cuts through the despair and releases praise no matter how dark the backdrop of life can be. And it's not a praise that glosses over the pain and pretends like everything's okay when it's, it's really not, but it's a praise that defies the chaos of this world and stares in the face of pain and suffering and says, my God is still good. We know the end of the story, that on the third day, Jesus rose again, defeating the power of sin and death, and he will come again and make all things new. And when our hope is anchored in that truth, whatever storms may come, we can have that garment of praise. And hope is our defining narrative that the world really needs to hear right now. And throughout the ages, so many ordinary men and women, you read their stories who really on the surface didn't have much reason to praise, but actually they discovered a true joy, a deep place of praise that is almost offensive to the world around them, and their stories testify of it. Again, just something happened to me in this church when I was an intern that really demonstrated to me this power of praise. I was um, at a day where we were talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, about what it was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'd been um, following Jesus for about a year and a half, and I had this kind of new role serving in the church, and I was excited about it, but I still had a bit of me that felt like I didn't really know if I fully belonged because, you know, the same place where I was living at the church, I used to walk down there for nights out. I was like, what if people see me? They think, what is she doing working for a church? And I remember, again, in the place of worship, I, I just started to encounter this depth of God's love. It's like this weight of the Holy Spirit just came upon me. And someone prayed for me. They didn't know anything of my story. And they said, God is saying, take off the cloak of your reputation. That's not who you are anymore. 
and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the crazy thing that happened on that same day is that as I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I experienced this closeness to God like I'd never known, that I ended up joining some friends out on Broad Street just in the city center, and I would have never done this before, who were quite literally praising on the streets. They were there um, finding an opportunity to talk to people about God, that he took away that garment of shame and clothed me with praise. That is the freedom that the Holy Spirit longs to bring to our life. And imagine what Oxford, our city, could look like if we allowed our praise to be seen, allowed our praise to be seen in our workplaces, in our families, in the coffee shop, wherever you are. And I'm not talking about just singing. I mean carrying hope, that light, that oil of joy, that garment of praise that people will be drawn to the light that we have in Jesus. Because people need to be set free by this. If the band would like to come up, we're coming to land now. But I just want to say at the end here, don't underestimate the power of praise in the darkest situations of life. I've talked about the transformation of the gospel, the most beautiful exchange, that the anointed one of heaven, Jesus, the King of kings, who came off his throne into our world to bring transformation, he took on that crown of thorns to give us a crown of beauty. He became a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that we might know the oil of joy. And he wore a cloak of shame so that he could wrap us in a cloak of praise. This is the freedom he brings.